You're listening to Once, episode 237, The Brothers Jones. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Jacqueline. And we have watched and rewatched this episode, The Brothers Jones, and we are ready to discuss it. Now, I did a little bit of research before this episode because the previous time we've seen Liam is in the episode 305, Good Form, from third season. And a lot of what they said in here lined up, and it is the same actor who plays Liam. But it's interesting that in that episode, the brothers called themselves the Jones brothers, whereas in here they call themselves the brothers Jones. True. Once, though. Yes. But they can mix it up a little. Yeah. Let's start our discussion with the past. We get to see Liam and Killian before they were honorable, and... I I feel like we've heard something before about Hook's father that I couldn't quite find. We definitely saw that whole thing, but I can't remember which episode. It was episode 511, Swan Song, the fall season finale from about four months ago. That's right. I was looking at earlier <laughs> seasons. That's why. Um, you were looking for them as older people or something. Yeah. Nope. Hook's father, Brennan left his kids on that ship with who I assume is the cargo captain because they made reference to the fact that they're on a cargo ship before they join up with Captain Silver. So uh, I'm guessing he sold his boys to that captain, and that's what they've been trying to buy their way out of for about 20 years based on actor age. Yeah, yeah, that's probably reasonable. I would say 15 to 20 years. Um, So they're swabbing the decks, and... In this episode, you see Hook get a little tipsy and gamble. Did anyone else feel like that was a bit of a retcon of his character? Because wasn't he not supposed to have, you know, done any kind of drinking or gambling until after Liam died because it wasn't part of good form? Well, I did watch good form and it does start off showing Hook before he was Hook when he was Killian, the lieutenant, and Liam was the captain of the ship. and. Mm-hmm. Killian is there telling the soldiers, do you know what happens when soldiers drink rum? They get drunk and we can't have that. And you know, it's bad form and all of that. And he throws the rum overboard. And I think what could piece these two things together, that it's not necessarily retcon, but I think it's when they got into the Navy, Hook decided he wanted to be more honorable because they were now part of the Navy. They were doing something by choice that was more honorable than having been sold as servants to a cargo ship. It could have been one of those whole um, sequences. I can't remember what company even did the commercials, but it starts off with one thing. And when that happens, the next thing happens and it just gets bigger and bigger. So when you drink rum, you lose all your money. When you lose all your money, your brother ends up making a deal with the Lord of the Underworld and murdering a ship full of people just to get you into the Navy. Don't drink rum. Exactly. A public service announcement from onespodcast.com. It's like that kid's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. 
So they they end up staying on the ship because of the way things go. And this whole string of events happen. And I start wondering how much of this is ruining Hades' plans. Or did even Hades know? Can Hades see the future? I don't think so. But I think he can see where people are headed given how well he knows human nature and how much he's watching people and apparently has eyes everywhere. <laughs> Too so many when, eyes. When they're going into the storm and then Liam incites this mutiny, I'm wondering, is that then breaking Hades' plans? And so Hades then feels like, I have to intervene. Interesting. I'm not sure how much of a sort of overall mythology there's going to be around what Hades does and doesn't do because just showing him suddenly appear to somebody in the overworld it's kind of like why would we never have heard of this before why doesn't he do this all the time where what why how old I mean I guess you can say immortal but that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense with his other things about his character I don't know there are a lot of missing pieces but we mostly spent a lot of time on ships and storms this episode rather than find out too much about any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Given the amount of times we've seen characters interact in the past when you wouldn't have thought they were able, either because of land or temperament or whatever, the fact that Hades has never been brought up by anybody. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of questionable. Unless it's one of those things where either they didn't know they were talking to Hades, kind of like a reference to a character in Lost that touched sometimes literally everyone's lives, and they didn't really realize who that was. Or maybe it's there have been deals like this where they had to keep it a secret for their own sake, and that's why no one talks about Mm, it. True. If that's true, it could potentially answer a lot of questions that we have had over the past couple years. <laughs> Things that we had kind of hoped would get answered in the arc themselves, but never do. Like, do you remember the drawing of Henry that Peter Pan had? Yeah. Everyone always wonders, where did Peter Pan get that from? Oh. Well, what if he got it from Hades? Or, you know, we never really found out, I think, where Jefferson got his hat, at least canonically in the show. So what if Hades gave it to him? What if Hades is the one who gave Granny... The cloak to protect red, you know, Ew. all these I, things could potentially lead back to him. I guess it's a question of not. if they're going to show it. <laughs> I hope not. Well, if anything, <laughs> I think Hades' actions would be something that leads to a lot of people dying <laughs> because that's what he wanted to happen here is that Liam was turning the ship around when they staged this mutiny against Captain Longjohn. Silver, <laughs> that then it prevented these people who were probably all going to die if Liam had not put up this fight. Yeah, I, I think my biggest problem overall throughout this whole episode is Liam's character. In any way you want to take the word character. Mm-hmm. He, when we saw him before, which was after this in history... He was noble, he was honorable, and that's pretty much what he was about. And that sounds like that's what he was about before this as well. But then suddenly, one appearance from Hades, and he's ready to murder a ship full of people to make sure that he and his brother survive and get what they want. 
And it just, and, and he, like, he hadn't really done anything before that. We didn't know of anything he did like that after this point until the underworld when he's lying to everybody and sneaking around and ripping out pages and doing all these things. And it just doesn't seem consistent with anything else we know about him, which isn't a lot, but right. he he's was supposed only been, to be a pretty simple character, I think. Yeah, he's been in only one other episode. And though we've seen with other characters like Snow White and Prince Charming have their dark past. And that's the whole thing that led to the lie that they've been telling Emma or that she was believing. And then that whole struggle there of season four. Yeah, but I kind of I see where Jeremy's coming from because Liam isn't a consistent character in the sense that we see so much of him. That you feel like you have a good grasp on his character, except because the only thing we know is from the episode Good Form. And so this kind of felt like it just came out of the blue a little bit. You know, he's such a good guy, even in the beginning of the episode, protecting his little brother. And then suddenly it's like, yep, going to kill this entire ship full of people. And then he goes straight back to being what seems like a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, it is quite conflicting. What did you think of Captain Silver? Well, first, do you think that is Long John Silver? Is Long John Silver somebody other than a fast food restaurant? Yes. <laughs> Treasure Island. Okay. Treasure Island, yeah. <laughs> but in Treasure Island, he had a wooden leg or was missing. It. Yeah. Wooden leg, missing a leg, kind of same thing. Very cliche pirate. Had a parrot on his shoulder and everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. Um, just because I don't think there are that many Captain Silvers right. Right. out there. When you say it, you're instantly going to think of Long John. So, yes, I do. And they're not above taking somebody somewhat well-known. Was he a good guy or a jerk? Jerk. In, traditionally. Oh, so he was always a jerk, traditionally. He was a pirate in Treasure Island. A pirate with somewhat of a personal code, but selfish in the end. Like, so a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then it's he was a jerk in this episode, but I mean, they also made King Arthur a jerk. So that's, you know, totally in their uh, MO. <laughs> I thought he was just kind of ineffectual as this background character. He comes off as all brash and tough talking. And then the second the two very unexperienced Jones brothers pull a sword on him, he gives up without a fight. <laughs> Even though he had just said moments before that he was the kind of man who earned his name of captain. He was just used to talking that way. He was actually going to retire <laughs> off that eye of the storm or die trying. He, he was not in it for the long game. I think that he just, he had a, like short timers syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and it, he was thinking about his leg. He didn't want to lose his leg. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> When Hades visits Liam, we learn a couple interesting things about Hades. He said that he's a god. So he is claiming to be a god. And we learn that it seems he can't directly hurt people in the overworld. But he can use his magic to protect people while allowing the rest of them to die. Or he can, just from his personality, with his words, he can influence the decision someone makes, but he can't make people die to feed his kingdom. Correct. That's yeah. weird. 
<laughs> like that is such a specific random rule to me, especially because just kind of looking at Greek mythology, I mean, the gods do all kinds of shenanigans in the mortal world. <laughs> Most of the myths you know are probably about the stuff they get up to in the mortal world. And while Hades isn't one that necessarily comes to the surface a lot, I mean, the rest of them do. And it's not like they are completely powerless when they walk amongst us. There's a very famous literary trope called the Deus Ex Machina, <laughs> which is literally like a god being lowered down, doing something and solving all your conflict and problems. So for Hades to be like, I don't have magic up here. I can't do anything except woo you with my words. I kind of tilted my head to one side and went, huh? Well, I, I know it doesn't line up with the mythology, but I think it lines up nicely with the show and storyline that here's a guy who wants his kingdom fed with dead, fresh, dead new souls. But he doesn't have the power to actually make that happen. He has to let things happen on their own. So it's kind of nice to know he doesn't have full power in the overworld. Yeah, I, I think he should need something to communicate like a mushroom <laughs> or something or the head of King Arthur. I don't know. He should use something. But, I mean, murder isn't even necessarily magical. <laughs> well... <laughs> True. So it's it's not necessarily that he can't use his magic. It's uh, that he is not permitted or not able to kill someone. Matthew Paul mentioned that Hades was still able to get the eye of the storm. And I wonder, has Hades been using the eye of the storm all this time to lure people into the storm so that they would die and feed the underworld? Like, it's not that he had to go and get it. He's had the eye of the storm this whole time. And it's his bait to mm. make soldiers go after it huh. and die in this storm. <laughs> Maybe. I kind of like that because it gives some purpose to this magical MacGuffin. Because this is one of those MacGuffins that just, it doesn't even remotely feel necessary. Except for the fact that it's an object you have to chase. We don't even know what it does once the navy people have it right i think it also helps legitimize hades going after one ship with maybe 30 to 40 men on it and why not go after something else and let some other big catastrophe happen maybe this is something special of his so he can see whenever a ship is going after the eye of the storm and he gets really happy. And then there's this one ship here now that he sees turning around. And he's like, oh, no, uh-uh-uh. And then he goes and convinces them to go straight on. And then he gets his supply of fresh new souls again. But he gives them the thing that was luring everybody to it. Yeah, I know. That's so where then, it falls apart. Yeah, doesn't that hurt his long game then? Because now you're going to lose all the souls who would go after the Eye of the Storm. Maybe it was getting old for him. Maybe this was one of the last <laughs> ships that would ever go after it anyway. <laughs> but you just said Hades couldn't see the future. So, I mean, how does he know that? Maybe it's just the industry. He reads the underworld 
weekly report that uh, shows the stats on all of the latest uh, incoming traffic. It's kind of like Google <laughs> Analytics for website owners, but for underworld traffic. So he can see how people come in, what they do when they're there, how they died. I know, listeners, as surprising as it might be, this is not an actual recording from the writers. Room. <laughs> we are not the writers. <laughs> but you know what the writers would say? Your questions are pointless. (laughs) (laughs) Would and did. (laughs) So they go into this storm, and as they're going into it, we finally see how Hook came by the ring that he later gives to Emma in Camelot. Yeah. And Liam or Hook, one of them, calls it the lucky ring, and it gets them home safe. One, I kind of wonder if that's foreshadowing because the people in the underworld right now our gang of heroes are currently trying to get home safely Mm. so i kind of wonder if the ring has anything to do with that Mm. and i think i would be remiss (laughs) if i didn't point this out so i'm going to (laughs) but this ring is being given as a mark of a true hero while liam is steering a ship full of people that is is going to be murdered (laughs) into the heart of a storm and now this ring that was given during the moment of mass murder is around the neck of the savior and she's clutching it like her totem. (laughs) I'm just putting that out there into the universe. I don't need to make commentary. It's just out there. You got to also wonder what was Killian thinking after he gave this rallying speech and convinced everyone, I trust my brother with my life and you should too. And if he says we can make it through this, we can. Oh, stink. Only two of us survived. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So much for lucky ring, right? And so much for trust. He just set that bar so darn high. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think this was an unsupervised episode? I don't know. (laughs) We've talked about unsupervised episodes before as those that kind of conflict with the rest of the storyline and there's the only, plot. There's only one though that I officially stated must be referred to as the unsupervised episode. <laughs> I, I do feel like this episode, while enjoyable, it it gave us more story than plot. And it gave us more storms and ships, which we've <laughs> had in abundance. <laughs> Well, one of the things that was tossed around this week at the forums is most people felt like, yes, pirates, (laughs) but also (laughs) that this episode felt more filler than anything else. Yeah. A lot of people agreed that it was definitely better than a lot of what we saw towards the end of season 5A, (laughs) but that this was probably the weakest episode of this arc so far. It just, it kind of felt like it dragged and stalled and... It's one of those episodes where the flashbacks kind of weigh me down instead of going, oh, this helps me make sense of the world and the characters. But I'm glad that they didn't fall back to, let's show another perspective of Evil Queen chasing Snow White. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, my favorite parts were probably with Cruella at the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. When they washed up on shore and they're drafted pretty much right then into the Navy, we get to see the jewel of the realm, which is the ship that they are on in the episode Good Form, that then they take over and rename to the Jolly Roger. Now, it was white, yes. 
and it later is basically painted black. No, it looked white. It's always had some yellow highlights to it. I think it was it was in moonlight, so it was harder to see like the yellow color of it. Maybe. Do you think that it had the Pegasus sail already on it, or do you think that's another backstory? I don't want the backstory of the Pegasus sail. It probably (laughs) did not have it because it seemed like they put the Pegasus sail on specifically for that mission to go to Neverland to get the uh, dream shade. And that's then how Liam died. So I think that they were serving the Navy for well, Yeah, they would have had to have been serving the Navy for several years before good form happens because here they're drafted in to the Navy under this captain. But by the episode Good Form, Liam is the captain of the Jewel of the Realm. So that would have to be at least several years for him to climb up the ranks to make it to a captain of the ship that he was drafted onto. So I don't think it had the Pegasus sail yet. Unless he went down into the hold and made a deal with the devil and took the ship somehow. Sounds like a country song. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, speaking of country songs, you know what helps us write happy country songs is our heroes. Our heroes make every episode of the podcast possible. Literally, we could not do this without our heroes supporting the podcast because of the expenses of running the website, hosting the media, the MP3 files, uh, the people who we pay to help us with the podcast so we can get the episodes out sooner and get better episodes out to you, as well as sending you all of our bloopers because we have plenty of bloopers in several episodes. So for this episode, I would like to thank our heroes, Lisa Slack and David Newland. Thank you very much. We also have 28 heroes on Patreon, and we really could not do this without you. So please consider being a hero to the podcast as well. Go to onespodcast.com slash hero. And not only does it mean supporting the podcast, but it also means you get access to cool stuff. Like you get early access to the spoilers. In fact, the spoilers that you right now listening will hear later in this episode at the end have already been posted to our supporters, our heroes on Patreon, and they got to listen to it if they wanted to several hours early and actually day early compared to when the podcast episode is available for most people. Also, we post our bloopers now on Patreon. So if you want to listen to something funny, it might be worth it just to support the podcast through Patreon as a hero just to get those bloopers because the bloopers are always a lot of fun. And so we save those bloopers. We edit them together for you, our heroes. So if you want to be a hero to the podcast, have access to that cool stuff and some other neat stuff too, go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. If you're not able to support the podcast on a regular monthly basis, and we also have our Amazon affiliate links for the United States, for Canada, for the United Kingdom. And if there's a country you'd like to buy from, from Amazon, and we don't have the link there, just let me know and I can give you the link for that because we have affiliate relationships with several of the different countries that Amazon is available in. So find out all of your options for becoming a hero for the podcast so we can sing wonderful songs about you by going to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Let's talk about the present day in Underworld now. It starts out as they're searching for these quill farts with Cruella. (laughs) (laughs) Searching for what? (laughs) You mean Bob? (laughs) 
You know, actually, I, let me just let that be in the bloopers. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to let that stay in the bloopers. <laughs> well, Cruella was describing, like, looking for this stuff that's coming from the quill and, you know, you'll be able to detect it. You can see it. You're the author. It should be calling to you. And it just made me think quill farts. Mm. <laughs> okay. Is that how you find your dog? No. <laughs> but we learned from The Apprentice that he told some half-truths. So apparently dead is not totally dead. There is some extra power of the quill to be able to resurrect the dead. But it seemed like that power was limited to the underworld. Because he said the rules are a bit more flexible in the underworld. And I, I wondered the rules of magic or the rules of the pen. Well, yeah, and they they almost didn't even have to underline the suspicious nature of this writing by saying it was a half-truth because I probably would have bought it more easily without that line. Like, because it's saying that he couldn't bring anyone back from the dead was true, not anticipating that he would break the pen, that it would go to the underworld as a living thing, and that Henry would also end up living and in the underworld and be able to do this. Like, why would that even enter into the answer? Can it raise anyone from the dead or whatever? So I, I don't even know if it was a half-truth. It was true, given the circumstances that were expected. Right. Yeah. I don't know that it should be able to now. <laughs> but I just thought it was kind of weird that the apprentice trusts that Henry will make the right choice this time. But a year ago, at least from our perspective he didn't trust him enough to even let him have the choice. It was just straight up. No, this is a thing you shall not do. And I just was, the apprentice just kind of keeps getting shadier every time we see him. <laughs> well, I wonder even, are we going to see him anymore? Because he said that his unfinished business was Henry and this thing about the quill. And so now that he's helped Henry, does that mean the apprentice gets to move on? I think so. Because Henry, in the end, he makes the right choice right. That to write the stories, which is what he's supposed to do as the author. So I assume that The Apprentice got taken to his heaven. <laughs> the Apprentice also said it would be a terrible mistake to resurrect Cruella. Do you think that's maybe a foreshadowing of Cruella's being a bigger problem in the upcoming episodes? Uh, maybe. Yeah, because if she doesn't get her way, I imagine she's going to seek some sort of retribution. It depends on how unsupervised this episode was <laughs> and if they'll even reference it in the next episode. Yeah, otherwise... Your questions are pointless. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. They called it the Sorcerer's Mansion. Merlin, right? Because we only called it the Sorcerer's Mansion before we knew who the Sorcerer was. Yeah. So it is Merlin's Mansion. However... We have no reason from Merlin's story to believe that it was ever his mansion. We don't know why it was in Storybrooke. We certainly do not know why it's in the underworld and why it's referred to as the Sorcerer's Mansion. Well, if it's in Storybrooke, then it's also in the underworld. Pish posh. Because everything in Storybrooke has a copy or a similar copy. Oh, I in understand. the underworld. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the Sorcerer's Mansion, even in Storybrooke. 
He never lived there. He never lived there. Yeah. In any world. So. (laughs) He never lived there when he was in Camelot either. Right. But it was only in Storybrooke for the second curse. It's not part of Regina's original curse. And we always kind of wondered, well, why did this pop up? Because Belle apparently found it when she was just wandering through the woods and decided to make it her honeymoon suite with Rumple. This is true. So maybe so. <laughs> the second curse was more of a copy of the underworld than the first one. Or it's always been there and we just didn't know <laughs> until now. Maybe. Maybe. I want, I kind of want an explanation. I kind of don't. But it has been quite vacant. It has cobwebs all over the place, which tells me Merlin has no unfinished business. And as wonderful as it would be to see Merlin again... I don't think he's here. If anyone ever felt like they died with unfinished business, it was Merlin. It was Merlin. Like Merlin and Neil should get together and have an unfinished business club. <laughs> I I actually disagree. Oh. I think oh. Merlin does not have unfinished business because he could see the future. He knew what was coming and it seemed like he was fully prepared for what was coming. Hmm. And so when he died, I don't think he had any unfinished business. I mean... Every dark one in existence was sort of his unfinished business. So he should, the eradication of the dark one should really, in a sense, be his unfinished business, which he never got to see happen from any perspective. Yeah. <sighs> and he never reconciled with Nimaway. I mean, I know he probably accepts that she turned dark and is now the dark one but don't you think they would want some kind of closure because what happened to all the dark ones including Nimaway? where did they go where are they do they have unfinished business all the dark ones are supposed to have unfinished business according to rumple all the dark ones are now in the dagger that's what i think it is except for hook (laughs) (laughs) okay but that means that even if they're all in the dagger like their soul is there so they still have essence so then they still have unfinished business if they were ever come out of the dagger. <laughs> so if Nimue still has unfinished business, like reconciling with Merlin and mm-hmm. paying for her past deeds, which were probably, you know, numerous, then shouldn't Merlin? <laughs> <laughs> and this this whole conversation line of reasoning about why the Dark Ones were in the underworld and were still Dark Ones and not the people they were before they were Dark Ones and blah, 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 blah. All of that is what I meant when I said previously that it's more last season that doesn't work with this season than anything they've set up this year. All that Dark One mythology sort of altering that happened in the last, well, I guess it wasn't last season. It was the beginning of this season. Feels like last season. None of that quite works with the way we've ever understood the Dark One before or the way they're presenting the underworld now. It's just kind of an anomaly. So I don't know. I think maybe our questions are pointless. Yeah, they probably <laughs> are. Whatever the case, I don't think he's down there. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I, I agree. <laughs> Is the hat down there? There's so many things. Like the way they've set this up, there are so many things that you could say, Is that there? Is this person there? Right. And. To say that the pen is there because Henry broke it, but everything in Storybrooke is also there. But even the things that aren't broken, it's sort of, it feels like my head is in the hat. There's a whole universe and it's just spinning. 
Yeah, what things are copies and what is sent down for some reason. Like the right. storybook, which the we'll get into book. more <laughs> later. Is it the same storybook? I don't think so because I really mm-hmm. think Hades' story would have been known to Henry already yes. if it was in the other storybook. I agree. I agree. Well, on a much lighter note than mm-hmm. all of these questions, I just feel like I need to point out that I have never needed a pair of shoes as badly as I need Cruella's red boots. <laughs> <laughs> you need to become pen pals with Eduardo Castro at this point. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> you can just inherit all of the old, unused wardrobe items and costuming items when the show's over. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so we did learn why Henry is doing all this, though. I mean, it's not just to help his mom. A lot of it, he tells us in the woods with The Apprentice, is because he's sick of sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Because Henry keeps saying that he wants to be a hero, and I kind of want to tell him, but you already are. You've been a hero for about five years. Yeah, it'd be fun to do a montage of all the not sideliney things that Henry's been involved in, including the pilot episode, and then just finish with a clip of him saying he doesn't want to sit on the sidelines anymore. But that's very teenager, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, he is a bit emo now. Apparently. <laughs> the short memory. Liam then came to Emma's, and I think he expected to see Hook, but he still seemed a little bit surprised when he did see Hook there at Emma's, and just that, oh, wow, the the rumors are true. Hook really is here. And just before, though, Liam shows up, when Emma heals him, I think this (laughs) is the first time she not only didn't roll her eyes, but affirmed Hook's devilishly handsome looks. (laughs) Because it seems often when he talks about how handsome he is or that kind of thing, she always (laughs) has kind of a little chuckle or an eye roll or a smile, or she never says anything back like, yeah, or anything like that. But here she's the one who said, I don't think anyone in the world is powerful enough to take away your handsome. Oh my gosh. Uh, I definitely eye rolled. But at least she got all the zombie gore off his jacket. Seriously, what was all that? It made him look pretty awful when he appeared on the grave. Yeah, it's just all from being beaten up by Hades. (laughs) I guess. What did he beat him with, a corpse? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He said he did some creative beating. We never got any elaboration, so I'm going with a corpse. I was very happy in this scene, though, to just go ahead and at least address everything we were all thinking from last year about how Emma tried everything despite being the dark one to help him and help everybody. And the second he realizes he's a dark one, I still don't understand. He just went full on dark one, hated her, hated everyone, tried to destroy everything. He was weak. I I was, I'm happy they addressed that, but that's about where, the logic seemed to end for the rest of the episode because by the end, and obviously we'll talk about this as we go, but it seems that the overall message was, well, if y'all just hadn't been so good and set the bar so high, I wouldn't have had nowhere to go but down. (laughs) I was so weak because you guys looked so good. If you'd just shown me how despicable you actually are, I'd have done all right by comparison or possibly actually. It was very confusing. I still don't know if I understand 
the rhetoric of the high bar. I agree with a lot of what Jeremy just said. I normally don't give Hook a lot of credit for anything, but I actually was really appreciative of some of the stuff he was saying in this scene, like how he plunged headfirst into darkness. He's saying he doesn't measure up. And this idea that maybe he doesn't deserve to be saved, which I think is a very valid point. And I think it's something that we can kind of keep talking about in this episode, because a lot of this episode for me came down to the idea of redemption and atonement. And this idea of can you have forgiveness or redemption without any kind of suffering? Because it bothers me that Hook starts off this episode saying that he doesn't deserve to be saved because of his crimes, which we know from flashbacks and etc., are numerous and lengthy, you know, couple murders, whatever. And like I said, I do think it's to his credit to see him openly admitting all this, Mm -hmm. and he's ready to put in the work, as it were, of atoning for all these various crimes. By episode end, however, he comes around to Emma's way of thinking that he does deserve to go back to Storybrooke, that he deserves to be saved, but I don't necessarily know that he put in any kind of actual work toward this redemption, toward this understanding of himself as being able to be saved. Yeah, there are kind of multiple aspects to redemption, uh, depending on with whom you need to be redeemed. Right. Like, uh, if, if I violate your trust, then I may come back, I may repent, I may ask your forgiveness, all of that, but I need to earn your trust back. That's kind of a form of ongoing redemption in a sense. You may have forgiven me, but you can't just outright trust me fully again. I have to earn that back from you. Um, it's very interesting that this episode aired on Easter Sunday, right. which yeah. is uh, a Sunday that uh, many Christians use to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there, that story is that God saw we can't do anything to redeem ourselves the only way for us to be redeemed is if someone else takes our penalty for our sin, and that was Jesus Christ, and then he died and was resurrected. And that's that's all in the Bible. If you have more questions about that, I'll be happy to talk with you about that. But I think that what's here is that Hook seems to be ready to make atonement, not to just say, I failed, I deserve only judgment, there's no hope for me, I can't be saved. I think now he's shifted to see that, well, I can be saved. I can make things right. I can earn back trust from those whose trust I've violated. And I do want to have a life beyond my failures. Okay. I think that's a fair point. You said something like, it depends on to whom you owe this atonement to. And I think that's a really good point. One of the issues, though, that a lot of people are having with this episode is that the only person he seems to be making recompense to is Emma. Yeah. And Emma's the only one who got to decide that he was worthy to be saved and that he's been, you know, quote unquote, redeemed. And that's where Liam comes in with something that is very, very telling in the next scene about or maybe two scenes from now about Emma and her character. Because Hook isn't apologizing or saying he's ready to atone to any of the other Storybrooke gang, whom he almost sent to the underworld in place of the Dark Ones. Mm. We've got Merlin, who he murdered. We've got 
the number of people that he murdered in the past, you know, count the rings and necklaces he's wearing, those apparently each equal somebody that he's killed. And it's only between him and Emma that we're getting this whole I deserve to be saved mantra. So I don't know. This isn't an easy question. It's not an easy topic because he is such a polarizing character and a lot of people are going to have feelings about it. But it just it kind of made me squirm in a very uncomfortable manner in this episode. Yeah. And (laughs) for me, a big part of that was the overall message as she as he's dangling over this boiling sea and she's saying, forgive yourself. Well, there, depending on how you mean that, there's a place for that, but that has nothing to do with redemption or even as they set it up here, sort of salvation. Mm-hmm. And he can forgive himself all day long, but if there's no repentance, then is he going to just keep doing the same things and forgiving himself? Is that cool yeah. with everybody? Right. Or? There, it's... There are a lot of moral issues. It was very muddy, I think. (laughs) And for for a TV show, they cannot address all of these moral issues. They can't. And certainly not to everyone's satisfaction. Of course. Because I'll grant that, definitely. Yeah, many people have very different definitions even of of redemption and, and morality and such. But it seems like this was it. It doesn't seem like we're going to have now the next however many episodes of Hook actually making this atonement because he seems to have righted himself with emma which is all that apparently matters right and so even though i think they went about it very strangely i am sort of glad in one sense that they even addressed it because for so long hook was stomping around storybrook without anyone ever addressing what i was complaining about forever the fact that there's Hook and there's Belle, and he once was about to kill her. Yeah. And nobody ever said anything for so long. So right. I'm glad they brought it up, at least, that it was actually an issue. I had forgotten that he killed Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever the case, while Hook is still deciding he has unfinished business that he has to take care of before he can make a decision than to do whatever he wants to be (laughs) redeemed or to just die, die. Right. They, they bring out some interesting things about Hades. They're talking about the storybook. And I thought it was really interesting that they said that someone had once tried to defeat Hades before. Mm, That's That's kind of a story I'd like to see. I am very curious about that. Very. Does it seem like in this mythology that they've set up that the underworld doesn't even belong? That people are supposed to be just moving on regardless? Has he taken over somewhere that people are supposed to spend time if they have unfinished business? I'm not sure if I'm clear. And maybe that's part of what we're unraveling this season is what, what does defeating him and, quote, freeing everyone do? Is there no more underworld at that point? Yeah, good question. Or is it just functioning the way that it's supposed to without well, him? I don't think it's functioning quite the way it's supposed to. Because one of the brothers, Jones, said the game is rigged, people, or like Hades has fixed it so that people can't leave. Right. I mean, we know that people have left, though. So it's functioning 
almost very, very slowly, as if Hades has slowed everything down so that it it functions, but at his pace. Because we know that Daniel, for instance, last episode, we know that he moved on. We know that Neil has moved on. I don't know if Neil spent any time in the underworld. It hasn't been elaborated upon. But we know that he did at least go to the better place. So we've seen Henry Sr. and Hercules move on. So that line kind of gave people some fits this week because actually this was a sneak peek we all got. But it feels like it's rigged, but it's rigged to a point where it's working on Hades' timetable maybe. Yeah. I think that he has a lot of control over this underworld. Maybe it's something like he came along and he created the underworld and then started rerouting traffic from <laughs> death into his little place. So, is it, yeah, it seems almost in a simplistic way, uh, which doesn't mean it's not the actual way, that if the clock, what, strikes midnight, <laughs> he's gone. Something happens to him. Oh, so you're saying like every ticking of the clock is not just he's losing some of his control or some of his followers, but he's actually losing power. And something he's got to have a bigger stake in this than just Mm. I like things the way I like them, which I guess that could be all it is. But he seems awfully the clock ticking is so symbolic. It's got to mean something. Yeah. Can Hades go to the worst place? I mean, is that his punishment, maybe, for all of this? It might be, in some way. Is there anything in Greek mythology about how he got his role in the scheme of things? Sure. So, the people who, well, the gods who were in control before... Zeus and Hades, the the ones that we really know nowadays, um, they were overthrown by Hades and Zeus and Poseidon and the rest. Um, The big guy in the sky was Cronus, who is their father. He had a weird tendency to eat his children. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nasty habit. (laughs) Nasty habit. (laughs) Zeus uh, was saved by his mother and then rose up in rebellion and overthrew his father and the the rulers the titans he threw them into hades and then what happens is the three brothers hades poseidon and zeus draw lots and even though hades is i believe the eldest he didn't automatically get the big throne in the sky he drew the lot that meant he had to go to the underworld zeus got olympus and poseidon got the earth or uh, the sea and the earth so that's how that came to happen i mean it's not like hades was ever resentful though that's something that's very modern to us where we tend to associate him as being this evil deity who wants to overthrow zeus because he's unhappy with his lot in life interesting he he was perfectly content in the underworld in fact he rarely ever leaves he comes up occasionally and there's this legend that he puts on like Something that's akin to the cloak of invisibility, if you've ever read Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he he doesn't feel the need to interact with mortals because most mortals hate him because he is the lord of the underworld. But they also respect him and they understand that he's necessary and also very just. He might be unyielding in his decision making, but he is a very just god. So I, I have a feeling that the show, if they do give any kind of background to Hades, is going to go with 
what we see maybe in the Disney movie where you have a resentful God who wants to overthrow his brother. Now, do you know anything from the Greek mythology about a weakness that Hades had? Because that's what they're searching for the storybook now for, is to figure out his weakness. There's, okay, it's been a while since I read this particular legend, but there's there's one legend about how he can get injured. Like, he gets shot, and he has to go to Olympus to heal himself. And I don't remember who shot him. I almost want to say it's Hercules, but I could be wrong about that. The thing about the gods, I mean, they're not really susceptible to mortals. You know, they're they're in control. They can't really be undeified, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything. And does that tie in with uh, any attempts to overthrow Hades, like in, from Greek mythology? No, because nobody would want to do that. Hmm. You know, if if you have to go and have a conversation with the Lord of the Underworld, you are very respectful. Chances are you strike some sort of bargain because Hades was big into bargaining. Yeah. If, like, for example, when Hercules goes down into the Underworld to get the dog Cerberus as part of his labors, he strikes a deal with Hades. Hades goes, yeah, sure, you can have my dog, but you have to beat him without any kind of weapons which is Hercules goes and basically clubs him with his hands. Um, (laughs) When Orpheus goes down to rescue Eurydice, it's that you have to make it out of the underworld without ever looking back. If you look back, she's mine forever. Spoiler alert, it doesn't end well. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, he he was feared and, and probably loathed by the mortals because no one really likes the Lord of the Underworld, but... It wasn't as if he was this malicious, malevolent figure. I'll have to keep that in mind in case I ever need that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Never look back. Even if she stumbles and cries out, just keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, as they then start searching Snow's apartment for the storybook, they mention again, the storybook is the embodiment of hope jump all the way back to among the first couple episodes of Once Upon a Time. And hope is why Mary Margaret back then gave Henry the storybook because she said it's all about hope. Mm -hmm. And that's what Once Upon a Time overall is about is that's their core theme is hope. And so it does make sense that hope would not be allowed in uh, the underworld. And Something else interesting is that light magic apparently doesn't agree with Hades. And so there's all of these items of light magic inside Merlin's mansion. And one of them is this contraband known as hope. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, just to expand my questions about the mansion and Merlin (laughs) and why it's in the underworld. Why does this copy of this mansion of questionable ownership have light magic in the underworld? That's a very good question. <laughs> Even though Rumple doesn't think so. Your question's <laughs> But in this Big Brother talk to Emma, Liam said something that I feel like he was totally right about this. Killeen's been fighting darkness his entire life. Then you pushed him off the cliff. He had a chance to die a hero, to move on, and you took it from him. This is what we said at the end of season 5A, is that as beautiful of an episode that that was, 
and Hook's sacrifice and everything, it felt like Emma then took that all away. Well, actually, Emma and Rumpel took that all away by their respective actions. It's true. Uh, You could get into a whole topsy-turvy debate about how much of that was Dark One influence. Because, I mean, look what it did do to him. She had been the Dark One for quite a while by that point. Isn't it expected that she might do something selfish at some point? Yeah. But, I mean, I felt like it was just running in the family to turn on Emma and blame her for everything. Because that's the other side of the debate. She, Yeah, he's been fighting darkness his whole life. She did pretty well. Yeah, it's a high bar. But, I mean, he could have resisted somewhat. I don't know. Yes. It could be argued he'd had a lot of practice at resisting darkness. I don't know. (laughs) I, yeah, that's a good point. But I I do see what Liam is saying. And I kind of think Daniel is right that it's, it's kind of spot on for Emma where she stands after five seasons. Um, Something that was kind of unique to this whole situation is that almost unanimously, anyone who commented this week about the episode at the forums really agreed on this, that Liam was right to call Emma out for being so selfish and self-centered. So Bar Far um, wrote that, While I'm glad that Emma was blamed for being selfish, I wish it came from other characters, and I don't feel like it was portrayed as something serious that she needs to learn from. Basically, it was used as a, quote, clue that something is wrong with Liam and not as observing some kind of flaw with Emma. Because by the end of the episode, Emma didn't learn anything or grow as a character. So it's everything that we've been saying really since 5.11, the fall finale, you know, where she refuses to let him go. And while, yes, you can see this as some sort of grand romantic gesture, she kind of doesn't even think about anybody else. It's just, I have to go save him. All that matters is my love life, essentially. Right. So really, it's kind of which time did she not let him die a hero? Like in Camelot when she made him the Dark One or even when he tried to destroy the Dark One and die then a hero and she marched down to the underworld. She did it twice in a row. Okay, so then Nevermore responded with this. And this is kind of something that I've been feeling as well, which is that I've actually come to realize that I really dislike Emma. And this is Nevermore talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's become clingy and seemingly emotionally callous about anyone other than Hook and defensive of anyone who isn't affirming her 100% of the time. It's little things, but cumulatively, they add up to create this impression of someone who is both shallow and judgmental. For example, her flipping her fingers to fix Hook's bruises early in this episode, it wasn't framed as her healing his injuries so much about restoring his looks. Or her little snarky comment about Henry being emo. I mean, you drag your teenager to the underworld to save your boyfriend, and emo response seems pretty darn mild to me. But it's all about Emma and her discomfort. And her dislike of Liam, that bit of dialogue with Hook, was sort of hilarious. As I remember it, it was something like, hey, Liam doesn't like me. I think there's something wrong with him. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's hard to say these things because Emma, of course, is kind of our our character, right? You know, she was our human character. She didn't have any ties to the fairy tale world originally when we sort of met her. And we went on this journey with her for love of her son. And she's been our hero all along. And I'm watching these episodes lately. And I'm kind of like, I don't think I like you anymore. Hmm. (laughs) Because sometimes she's just, she's like Liam said, she can be very selfish and self-centered. Yeah. 
with with all they've set up and various points of character growth, I suppose, they really it feels like they need to sit down and have a good long hard look at who they want Emma to be mm-hmm. by the end of this show and kind of get her I mean she's she's made there have been changes to her character but it's kind of one of those well when you put it like that moments it's really it, this is all really true yeah. <laughs> and I don't know that it's all meant that way and I think sometimes even yeah. I with all my critique I think that I still filter it and sort of see what I think they're trying to say and I look at her that way but when you take these moments, it really, it may not line up exactly with where her character is trying to go. Right. And the criticisms aren't necessarily that I just flat out hate Emma or anything. It's that I loved her character so, so much in the beginning. She was my favorite female character on the show. And now I watch her and I kind of just, I feel like she hasn't actually grown at all. Or if she has grown, it's not in a way that is necessarily good. And yeah, I don't know that the writers intend me to read it that way, but a lot of people are. And I, it's kind of a problem. Hmm. And speaking of problems, they decide <laughs> to go punch the sheriff of the town. Punch the sheriff. Apparently he's kissing people he shouldn't be kissing. <laughs> right. Um, you understood that well. I, just before we move on, I liked the little bit of dialogue between Snow and Charming. He kissed you thought he was you because that is season five version of we were cursed (laughs) (laughs) i was expecting to see james in this episode i guess the actor wasn't available (laughs) 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 so down in the rabbit hole uh, that is the restaurant not the literal rabbit hole Uh, did you notice on the counter there were a bunch of more Red peppers. This time they're being pickled in jars. Well, like you do. The <laughs> nice. world is just full of red peppers all over the place. <laughs> See, that's cute. That's something that I have to give props to the production people. That's cute. Right. Yeah. Even if they are kind of elbowing us and going, get it? Hot. <laughs> <laughs> so this eyes everywhere thing implies that he doesn't have to be somewhere to overhear things and know what's going on. And apparently it's literally everywhere because he does seem to still know everything that's going on. I don't know that he knows everything. I think it's that he can only look at one place at a time. And Well, you think he's using magic? I thought he had spies. Yeah, I think he's using magic because where were the spies in Snow and Charming's apartment? I don't know, but apparently even in the rabbit hole, we didn't know that Captain Silver was listening. That's Which, true. by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, but in this entire conversation that Captain Silver overheard, Hades threatened with, quote, the truth. But they never spelled out what the truth was. That's Because true. we had yet to see it in flashbacks. They did not sit there and say, you killed Captain Silver and his entire crew. That's that's a good point. And the writers are probably saying, your question's <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, no, no. After that, Liam just had forgetfulness and he just said, oh, wait, no, which, just to be clear, which truth are we mm-hmm. talking about here? Because I want to be sure that anyone who's listening learns after a hundred years or so what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you kind of wonder why Captain Silver is going to the bar to have a drink from the bartender who killed him? He doesn't know he killed him until this moment when well, they didn't say the truth. 
<laughs> okay, at least did the mutiny. Yeah, there is that. That's true. He did know about the mutiny, yes. He probably did not tip very well. <laughs> he probably did not tip He very probably well. threw his glass on the floor every single night. <laughs> it's really the only reason he started getting that drink is so that he could boss Liam around and break the glasses. Yeah. Hades seems to really enjoy using his magic because he's just all like, fascinated or he's amused by his own use of the magic with his way that he shifts the glass over he's just kind of like bang i got magic and i can push that over there (laughs) like it's not much but it doesn't look impressive when i act like it's not a lot of what i can do can we just keep him (laughs) (laughs) i mean i recognize that he's kind of in this iteration of Hades, the devil, but he's, <laughs> he's a gem and I would like to keep him because he says things like, even for the underworld, it's dead in here. <laughs> like, but up. He and Cruella should get together yes. and take the show on the road. <laughs> you know, everybody can go have their happily ever after. Let's have season six just be Hades and Cruella. <laughs> or a spinoff. <laughs> They'll have their own podcast, the Hades and Cruella podcast. <laughs> Subscribe on iTunes today. <laughs> Speaking of Corella, David and Snow are uh, caught by Corella. But just before that, well, David is. Uh, just before that, I noticed there was a key in the drawer with the number 206 on it. And that's a key to, I believe that's a key to Granny's. Mm, yeah, the number sounds familiar. And I was kind of wondering, uh, why is there a key to Granny's in there? Might there be a room? Now, that's probably also me asking pointless questions your questions <laughs> but it was something of interesting to note are you sure because don't they use the key to get into the sorcerer's house well that was a different key there was a key label oh. 206 in there oh, well maybe that's where james is living oh yeah could be too. And he just puts all his keys in there, just like David does. Yeah. Top drawer. I'm glad you brought up the key because honestly, I was first distracted by all the torture and execution devices in the <laughs> sheriff's office and then by the real torture. Cruella. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Entertaining, but also ex- significantly Disturbing. awkward. Disturbing. Especially if anyone is still watching with their kids. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm glad. I mean, David. David was probably trying to go along just to kind of like get out. He had no idea what he was in for. No. (laughs) And and then when he realizes this is just, this is going way too far. I don't think he even had a drink from the champagne at all. Probably not. Because we never did see him drink it. Although he looked like when she started pouring the champagne, he did kind of look like, oh, hey, at least I'll get free champagne out of this deal. But then he he had enough, and I was I was glad about that. He tried to fake it for a little bit, and then just too much. So now he's got to go tell Snow, I kissed Cruella. I imagined the whole time that Snow was just lurking in the shadows. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I thought we'd get to see her like just storm out and say, David. Especially now that she supposedly doesn't want to be Mary Margaret anymore, I would be really surprised if she just got out of there and was like, huh, hope he's all right. 
I'm going to go sit at Granny's. So they get to Merlin's mansion to start looking around for everything. And apparently the key was all they needed to get in because there wasn't any kind of magical or uh, evidence of any protection spell or anything like that. It seemed like the key was the key to getting in. Yeah. It doesn't really need protection because once these people are inside, they just lose their minds. <laughs> Let's split up. Oh, okay. Let's not question that other than in my head. And then, Henry, you stay here. When has Henry ever stayed here? And then he's all, last. that's the last time they leave me behind. What's he going to do? Like, everybody just went crazy. <laughs> and I just, I was having a hard time rooting for them for a little bit at that point. Stuff's just going to happen, guys. I can't help you anymore. Not that I could, could ever help you, but. Well, when Liam found the book, we do see a page from the book. And we got screenshots of this, and thanks to Matthew Paul for providing the transcript from it, so it's a lot more readable. And here is what the page reads. It is not that story, The Golden Bird. This oh, is actually relevant. <laughs> here it is. Hades rolled over in his bed with a lazy yawn. His face caught the harsh, blood-red underworld sunlight pouring into his vaulted bedroom, and he squinted. Somehow, he had overslept. Wiping the sleep out of his eyes, he wondered why his alarm clock didn't go off. In his case, the alarm was the sound of a thousand freshly reaped souls screaming <laughs> in torment. They usually wailed every morning on schedule as soon as they were deposited into his infernal river, obviating the need for him to enslave a lackey to wake him up. But for some reason, on this particular morning, the souls never wailed. Not really thinking too much of it, Hades went about his morning rituals. He walked and fed his three-headed hellhound, Cerberus. He took a luxurious bath, then dried himself by the heat of his flaming hair. <laughs> <laughs> and he oversaw his cavernous domain from the top of a volcano while sipping a glass of fine brandy. It was only when he checked his soul counter in his private lounge that he realized he had a problem. Inexplicably, it registered a paltry amount of a few dozen. Hades shook the counter to make sure the device was working properly, but the dial didn't budge. His equipment was working fine. It was his soul count that was pitifully low. Hades shook his head and clenched his fist. There was little that put him in a worse mood than a low soul count. He felt like going out and drowning the first 20 restless spirits he came across in his infernal river, but he knew that wouldn't solve his problem. To get to the bottom of the issue, he'd have to look at the sole providers who fueled his supply up in the overworld. Unfortunately, Hades didn't have any real power when he journeyed above ground and out of his domain. Side note, very interesting point there. <laughs> Even if he could figure out which of his admired cadre of murderers had stopped murdering, he'd have to find a creative way to get them to resume killing. First, he needed time to think. He took a stroll through the grimy, sulfur-laden streets, which teemed with sad, restless spirits. These were the souls who still had unfinished business hanging over their heads, weighing on their permanently silenced hearts. <laughs> The spirits avoided eye contact with Hades, afraid he might unleash his wrath on them. But Hades stopped one for a chat, a small bearded villager in tattered rags. His rags were blue and seemed to have once been part of a proud outfit. Dun, dun, dun. That's it. 
that's yeah that's all that was on that first page it reminds me a lot of what we saw of regina's mornings in storybrook before the curse was broken mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean i kind of thought it would just read like someone's attempt at fan fiction but yeah actually <laughs> that does remind me of regina now that you say it so it wasn't the <laughs> thankfully it wasn't the golden bird again but also it wasn't the golden nugget that i was hoping that we might be able to find other than that little tidbit that said hades didn't have any real power when he journeyed above ground and out of his domain okay so i assumed when we saw him with liam on the ship that he was sort of just appearing but hadn't really left the underworld but that is quite possibly an inaccurate assumption or it is accurate but if he were to actually leave on the boat with some of the living maybe he would no longer have any power in the overworld yeah that's probably true he has to physically travel and when he does he can't use his magic to its fullest and by the way the story on the page just before Hades' story yeah it's the golden bird (laughs) oh (laughs) gosh (laughs) Yeah, that's the story they use almost every time we see a story in the storybook, unless they're specifically looking at it. Usually the story is the golden bird, except for one other case that I'll mention a little bit later. So when do we think this story of Hades was written and who wrote it? I don't know. It it was the last story in the book. It was nothing but blank pages after that. So I wonder if maybe whoever wrote it was one of the earlier authors that was then somehow killed by Hades because Hades was like, I don't want you writing down my story and (laughs) then killed him or had him killed or something like that. Price Hmm. of Magic thought that Hades' story happens during the 28 years of the original curse, Regina's curse, because Rumpel was supposedly his biggest supplier of souls, but he was trapped in Storybrook as Mr. Gold and obviously couldn't go about doing any murdering. Hmm. But I don't, I don't know that that adds up because it, his soul count is low. That's one of the big takeaway points from the transcript is that he's really worried about his soul count. But if he has slowed things down to such an extent or whatever that, quote unquote, the game is rigged, as Hook says in the beginning of this episode – then doesn't that mean this has to take place before? Oh, well, he did say know. in his dealings with Rumple that the supply has been dwindling, basically. Like, Regina used to be one of the biggest suppliers, but then she went all, according <laughs> to him. <laughs> and he wants Rumple back up there doing his job and supplying Hades with fresh new souls. Then was it Isaac? Because Maybe. Isaac would have been the author... At least from the time of Emma's conception up through the curse. I think it probably, this story, whatever it is, I think it probably happened long before. So even before Isaac, some other author was writing. So this is a dead book. Yeah. But (laughs) how did the author write in the underworld if the pen was only recently broken and Bob went to the underworld as of maybe, season 4B. Maybe this book was in the overworld and it was destroyed. Maybe Hades burned it. Or somebody burned it and it went to the underworld. Or this is one of the other storybooks 
like maybe there are several storybook editions and this one underworld edition uh, mm-hmm. there is an equivalent one in the overworld but we've never seen that before or maybe this one has specifically only the stories of people who are now in the underworld does that mean the golden bird is in the underworld <laughs> <laughs> the golden bird is apparently everywhere <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure the storybook mythology is quite full. <laughs> At because some point, I just want to see the Golden Bird story because we've <laughs> seen it so many times yeah. in the storybook. What if that's where the Pegasus sale comes from, though? Oh, that would be interesting. I thought you didn't want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Pegasus was a pony. All animals. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think a meeting between James and David will be like? Because Cruella hinted that it will be a really big meeting. I think it will be potentially more contrived than <coughs> the conflict that's already been stated between them. People who have never met really shouldn't have grudges against each other, <laughs> especially when there was so little information available to one about the other. Well, James probably knew about David, but and they make that obvious that James knew about David and resented David because David got to stay home with a mother while James had to be with this king who really didn't care about his son. He just simply yeah. wanted a son, someone to fill this block in his spreadsheet labeled son. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not interested. I'll put it that way. They could surprise me. I might be interested after I see it. I'm sort of interested to see the meat, but the whole, I've always hated you thing. Okay. I don't think they can actually reconcile. No. Because I think you had your brotherly reconciliation quota for the arc this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a feeling that James might be going to the worst place. Because we haven't had a character that we've known for a long time, go to the worst place yet, right? It's been all red shirts. Right. So I imagine that if David and James do meet up, and I assume they will from this conversation, that it will go poorly for James. I'm just hoping they don't try to, like, parent trap us where Uh David actually does something and it's James who returns with Snow White because, no. Oh. They are probably going to try to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would hope that Snow would know because she knew. Unless they do actually kiss the same. Oh, gosh. We're giving them ideas. This is bad. (laughs) Yeah. If they all go back, but it's the wrong brother and Cruella sneaks back to the living world as well, I will not be happy. (laughs) I wasn't happy about what Regina said. In back in the mansion with the storybook, she said that she ripped out the pages from Henry's book to hide who she was. So wrong. Unsupervised episode. <laughs> How did no one in the writing staff capture that? Like, it's a massive error. Right. It's, it's a pretty big error. Here's how it went. And Jacqueline, feel free to fill in any details here, too. Uh, I rewatched portions of the pilot episode and the second episode, the thing you love most from season one. And uh, what happened is that Henry had the book and he left it in Emma's car. That's uh, why Emma ended up skidding out or not seeing the wolf skidding out, crashing into the, to the sign, staying, all of that stuff. Regina took the book from Henry at the end of the pilot episode and 
that's kind of where the pilot episode ended. And then the next episode, The Thing You Love Most, starts, among several things, with Regina reading the book, flipping through, and then she gets to ripped out pages and she's upset at Henry and asks him what happened to these pages. And he said, it's an old book. Pages are missing. Why do you care? And uh, she said, well, I care because you think I'm some evil queen. Or she, she said something like that. He already knew she was the evil queen. Yes. There wasn't anything missing from the book that hid that. In fact, what she saw in the book was a picture of her as the evil queen and stuff about her as the evil queen. What was missing were pages that Henry ripped out and then gave to Emma later on in the episode, The Thing You Love Most. And those were the pages about Emma. That's when Operation Cobra was born to throw off Regina from figuring out what everyone was up to and knowing who Emma actually was, Mm -hmm. that she was the savior who would break Regina's curse. And so they took, Henry ripped those pages out. He gave them to Emma. Emma read them over at some point. And then when they're in that session in Archie's room and Emma is kind of just playing along with things in order to get to know Henry a little bit better, she says, you're right. These pages are dangerous. The only way to make sure that the evil queen doesn't find out (laughs) is to destroy the pages. And then she puts them into the fire to burn. And they were the pages about Emma. You even see that Mm -hmm. as the pages are burning, it shows Emma and the Emma blanket there, they're not about Regina. So this was total failure on the writing part. This is completely wrong. Regina (laughs) never ripped pages out of the book. Henry knew Regina was the evil queen since before the series started. And even if she had ripped them out at some point, she couldn't, it wouldn't have been for that purpose. She couldn't have prevented anyone from knowing she I, like she's most of the story that was in that book. She's in most of it. Yeah. And just for the record, Adam Horowitz did tweet that it was a mistake. Oh, um, he did acknowledge that it was wrong. But it's one of those things where I can almost forgive the little continuity issues of last season or last arc where they messed up some timeline stuff on screen. Or even the time they accidentally switched the gender of Cinderella's baby. <laughs> but this, I mean, these are the first two episodes, which Adam and Eddie wrote. They wrote those first two episodes. And between the two of them, Jane Espenson, and what I have to assume is some ragtag team of interns whose job it is is just to sit and know all of the things about the show. How did no one catch that? It's because they did not hashtag hire the nerd. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm only half kidding when I say unsupervised. ABC, seriously. And uh, I know we joke about this often, but seriously, hire Jacqueline, please. If you need her contact information, (laughs) I can get you in touch with her. But you need to have someone who is a fan of the show, not just simply paid to be a fan of the show, but someone who is a fan of the show and is a walking dictionary of the show. Thanks. Jacqueline is your nerd. You need to hire her to help you with your continuity stuff. And uh, even if that means we lose her from the podcast and our forum moderator, that's okay. You need to hire the nerd. Okay. ABC, we're finished talking to you for now. (laughs) Hashtag hire the nerd. Well, yeah. So it's, it's nice to know that they are acknowledging that it was a mistake. Now, but there, there probably shouldn't be a required Twitter feed 
of errata when you watch the show. For example, to not be confused by captions that state a certain amount of time has passed or something like that. It's it's error fact-checking and basic continuity. Like, it's been done a long time. Well, I I now feel bad about my little rant, knowing (laughs) that uh, Horowitz did say that it was an error. Well, it's good that they acknowledge it. It's still... when yeah i'm i'm without words because i feel that it's a big deal to produce a television show for a major network when it when it's going to air it should be checked for stuff like (laughs) this yeah you know like i said i can i can kind of forgive the timeline thing where they said something about five thousand years ago with merlin or whatever last arc and it everyone kind of raised their eyebrows this is a vital plot point from the first two episodes of your three major characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what they could do to fix it is simply edit out her saying that. Because her saying that doesn't really add to the story. So mm-hmm. maybe if you get the DVD or Blu-ray version, well, first of all, buy it from our link when we have that oh, yeah. link for season five. But um, maybe they'll just edit that part out. Yeah. To make it a little better but we don't want to wait for that yeah (laughs) and apparently uh the crew from the ship didn't want to wait much longer either because they just found liam and (laughs) confronted him almost right away after discovering stuff that somehow they knew (laughs) but they've left him alone for over a hundred years like i guess i'm confused how do they not know that he's responsible because even if you know, they they didn't know maybe that Liam lived on for a little bit longer or whatever. They knew that he was the one captaining the ship that said, hey, we're going to go get the thing. Well, it was going in the direction where Captain Silver was taking it anyway. The difference, though, is that Liam made a deal to save himself and Hook. But didn't they all join forces with Captain Silver? To gang up on Hook and Liam? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they did. So they're just like picking and choosing the guy that's responsible, even though both of them essentially wanted to do the same thing. It's just that Liam mutinied. Right. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where I was like, look at all these dead people who have left Liam alone for over 100 years. Well, it gets way better, and I'm going to save that <laughs> for when we get toward the end. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So they take the brothers Jones to Mount Doom. <laughs> and when Hades shows up, I love that he just like that's a little air and that knocks the people down. It's actually kind of scary. Well, it's a she it's a sea shanty. Have you ever, you know, blow the man down? That's kind of what no. I was thinking of. <laughs> it's a sea shanty and they're pirates. Oh, like, oh, nice. Hades has a total ironic sense of humor. Seriously, I, can we keep him? <laughs> i didn't even get that that's hilarious that's great uh so there were there were a lot of things happened in this scene in this place that we keep returning to and we've covered a lot of it already the things that were said about bars being raised and forgiving yourself and all of that so is there anything to add on that or can we get right to the moving on sequence itself I have one small criticism here, and I try not to criticize the show much, but this moment with the boat. Yes. Worst CGI in the show ever. And the funny thing is, it's not even just because of the CGI. It's because somewhere 
they made the decision to let Liam rock himself about like he couldn't stand up straight and keep the boat perfectly calm. Yeah. yeah. And it just made him look like just ridiculous. That's probably one of those things, since they do this all on green screen, or a lot of the stuff on green screen, it's probably one of those things that they thought, yeah, this will look great in post-processing. Sure. We'll fix it in post, but in well, the, no, sorry. Yeah, because it's like, okay, I'm sure he was kind of doing what the director told him to do. But then the CGI has to match. So I guess at that point, it is kind of a CG issue. Mm. But <laughs> the, the thing that struck me as a little interesting or odd here in the scene is that when the portal to a better place opens up, mm. it almost seemed like Hades couldn't breathe. Or maybe that was just an appalled sense. Like maybe he did say earlier that he and light magic don't agree with each other. So maybe it's kind of a sickening thing to him that it does it not just disgust him, but it does make him sick in some way yeah. or he can't breathe around light magic or the better place. It's like, <gasps> I got the sense that he had to leave. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. <laughs> so Henry moves on to a better place and it was kind of ambiguous, which for as deep as they can get into things in this story is fine. Then for at least Hercules and Meg, we thought, or they said it was Olympus. Mm-hmm. And so there was some question, well, is it Olympus for everyone? Is it not? Apparently it's not, but it's the better place for this group of people, like all of them, to go apparently to that ship that they saw. They the, All those guys want to go spend eternity on a ship with the guy that murdered them on yes. a ship <laughs> is that like is that's their better place it should have just been ambiguous <laughs> yeah the i like the idea of heaven being individualized i kind of think that's sort of nice except there is a problem with it that i'll get to in a second <laughs> but the whole let's put the murder victims in the boat with the murderer <laughs> and have them spend eternity together oh it's okay guys he forgave himself <laughs> yes and, and that's too. the take that's the takeaway point it's okay because liam is all that matters liam's feelings and emotions are all that matters I guess in his uh, case, it wasn't forgiving himself as much as it was sacrificing himself, but not for them, for his brother, which is what he sacrificed all of them for anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But there is another problem with the individualized heaven. And Wicked Regal brought this up. This may be a problem when you think long-term wise, if you really think about it. Say, for instance, that Emma's happy ending is with her family, but Hook's happy ending is on the seas with his brother. And this could apply to any of our couples, Regina and Robin, Snow and Charming. So these apparent true loves will just be separated in different realms for all of eternity? Or is all of the afterlife in one big world that has everything? Your question's... (laughs) (laughs) Oh. <laughs> Rumpel, I love you, but I'm getting I'm getting a little tired of that. <laughs> That's one of those things that again we're probably not supposed to think about, but probably for a couple, uh, as the example, probably their happy place is anywhere they can be together. 
with Liam. But, I mean, Robin was going to choose the woods, and Regina's going to choose some opulent castle. I mean... Maybe. Did... <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's just they both... They get both. They get a castle in the woods with horses. And then that makes everybody happy. But what if Henry's happy ending is like New York City, and he can't get to, <laughs> to Regina? Yeah. And where's Emma? Does he have to give up his mothers forever? I no, you're exactly am frustrated right. by the and world building. Is everybody there fake? Is it just a false sort of fantasy existence? Is but the boat a copy? Like, yeah. For the purposes of this story, I sort of liked the Olympus idea. Because at least it's a real place in this mythology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe they went into the Matrix. I, I think this <laughs> I think this does tell us that people aren't going to be coming back to life. So the saving everyone that yep. was hinted at earlier is helping everyone move on to I their agree. own individualized quote <laughs> heavens, unquote. Yes. <laughs> This is only the fourth episode of the arc. I think I'm just a little bit apprehensive at how much more detail they're going to try to get and how sort of confusing it's going to get. I hope, sincerely, we've had a lot to say about this episode. I hope that it's our least favorite episode of the season Mm -hmm. and that I can refer to it as the unsupervised episode of the season. And we'll just put a seal on it. And not reference it much anymore. Because if it if it goes that direction, there may be things happening next week that totally disregard things that happened this week. <laughs> it's happened before. Hook and Emma make amends and they're at Merlin's. They're still there. Hook goes back to there. So I'm guessing that even though they all already found the storybook, they are thinking, well, since this place is full of light magic, maybe there's something else useful here there's that and there's also though they haven't said it yet there's the fact that Hades doesn't seem to want slash be able to go there so since they seem so intent on making themselves comfy in the underworld if I were them I would think you would want to set up camp there where maybe he can't have so many eyes and ears and where he can't just appear and do whatever he wants but that's probably not what's going to happen. They're going to go back to Granny's and they're going to go back to the Charmy's apartment and all these places where they're completely vulnerable, but maybe not. When they're back at the Charmings, uh, while Henry is doing his emo thing, they're going through the storybook <laughs> and guess what? It's not the golden bird on one of those pages. Guess. It's actually the fairy tale Maid Maylene which is a, a completely different fairy tale that we've never seen referenced on the show before. Or in life. It's about basically a, a princess who wanted to marry this prince. Oh, but her that's father, original. <laughs> her father didn't want her to. And so he locked um, the princess in this tower for seven years and gave her food and supplies for seven years. And then when the seven years ran out... They expect it to be released, but we'll have a link in the wow. show notes where you can read this online for free. Um, but that's in there. I just thought it was interesting to that's see funny. what story. And then, yes, there was another page with the golden bird on it. <laughs> <laughs> so I really liked this moment between David and Henry. I think it was probably my favorite yeah. serious moment of the episode. I really miss these quiet family moments that 
have little to do with any kind of plot advancement where the characters mm-hmm. just talk about their emotions because we rarely see them anymore. So I tend to cherish them. Mm-hmm. It's true. Even if it is happening in a fake loft in a fake apartment in the underworld with the orange glow of the sky coming in the window. (laughs) There is that, yes. (laughs) So Henry's going to get to be the hero, though, and recreate Hades' story, which will, it will be neat seeing Henry using more of the power of the quill. Yeah, honestly, I always thought breaking it was stupid. I was like, no, no, it was a responsibility, kid. You were not supposed to abuse the power. You weren't supposed to destroy the instrument and shirk the responsibility forever. So there's that. (laughs) Because the responsibility, the greatest responsibility, as August put it in his dramatic little monologue, Mm. was to record. (laughs) (laughs) To record all these stories. And then here Henry, when he broke it, is basically saying, "Uh uh-uh, it's too much power. When he could have learned to control that power. Right. Or just not use it, just simply use the power for what it was intended for. I think that we'll get to see Henry do that. So how does Henry find out this story, though? Who else knows this story? Because if you read that transcript again, Hades, (laughs) (laughs) Hades is pretty much alone. It's not like there's anyone who can retell the story. So unless the pen has, like muscle memory where it remembers writing all this before how does that happen well like aaron and i were theorizing in the initial reactions it seems that the pen is some kind of container for a bunch of stories and that the pen is the thing actually writing the story not the person who's using the pen the person who's using the pen is enabling the pen to record the stories could be that it could be author magic where the stories kind of flow to them from the cosmos or something (laughs) recreating is new though yeah we've seen an author record in real time we haven't seen any kind of recreation of destroyed bits of recorded story that's true whatever the case we're i think we're going to get that story however it comes about from the magic of the pen because bob is imbued with much magic (laughs) meanwhile hades is down in his little chamber and the ripped out pages flow to him through one of the rivers and he pulls it out and one of the photos is kind of an aerial view of hades chamber and the second photo is a picture of zelina with oz in the background and that's when he says oz zelina our secret is safe essentially he says something like that Good thing you took care of Captain Silver, or Silver would have definitely heard and understood. (laughs) So, So, (laughs) what's the deal with Zelina? What is ever the deal with Zelina? (laughs) Yes. If it weren't for Oz in the background, I'd wonder if she actually did die. Let me read this theory that came in from Gareth saying, Previously, we discovered that Zelina didn't really die. She replaced Marion. Technically, though, she did die when Rumpel killed her, so perhaps she went to the underworld. She definitely had unfinished business at the time of her death. Perhaps Hades assisted her in her otherwise hard-to-explain return to the living. Perhaps a deal was made at that time. The fact that Hades brought Zelina back from the dead wouldn't be much of a secret, though. Not one that would endanger Hades, at least. So it must be more than that. Perhaps the dangerous secret is the nature of the deal. Hades could be the real father of Zelina's baby. 
Everyone seems interested in babies. Gods, including Hades, have been involved in having babies with mortals, though I hope that's not the answer. I don't want to think that a baby is Hades' weakness. This would also render pretty much everything that has happened with her baby related to Robin and Regina meaningless. I think that Zelina, this is me now talking. (laughs) I think that Zelina didn't die. Her body died, but remember she had that pendant and the smoke that then reactivated the time portal came from that pendant. So her life was in that pendant. So she didn't actually die. And even though we saw those visuals when Rumpel tried to kill her, it still had to be explained later. So we've already had one explanation for what happened and for her reappearance. They simply cannot go back and change the nature of that event again. Right. Yeah. That would be abusing the power of the author. And we we know roughly when this baby was conceived. Because when we get to New York City and Regina and Emma find Zelina, she's only about maybe a month to two months pregnant. Right. And they've left Storybrooke about six weeks prior. Robin and quote-unquote Marion. So it happened in that time frame in New York City before Emma and Regina showed up. Yeah, this needs to have nothing to do with that baby at all. So I really don't think that Hades is baby pistachio's father. (laughs) But he could have some kind of a deal where she owes him that child. Well, speaking of owing children, um, (laughs) Marcy sent in this theory that ties more in with last episode, but a little bit with this episode as well. Marcy said, I was thinking that Hades probably doesn't need or even really want the Rumbel baby. He's only using it to control Rumpel, who he's already admitted he sees as a rival. I think that Hades plans on giving the baby to Zelina to raise and keep away from Rumpel since he can't bring the baby down below. This way, he accomplishes two things. One, he keeps his control over Rumpel. And two, he has Zelina as an ally when she finally gets the baby she always wanted since hers was taken from her. Could the Rumbel baby be the once upon a time version of Rapunzel? I can definitely see Zelina as the crazy witch who keeps her locked in a tower. Maybe there is a connection after all with the Maid Maylene story. It's worth pointing out. However, that we've already had Rapunzel uh-huh. mm-hmm. back in 314, the tower. So I don't, the Rumbell baby can't be Rapunzel, Rapunzel. But I mean, Zelina is definitely a crazy witch. <laughs> Jessica sent in this theory saying, if the theory is true that Hades created the dark curse, maybe he knew Zelina was being taught by Rumpel to cast it. That's how they met and perhaps even made a deal with him. I think in the ripped up pages, there is evidence showing he was involved in the creation of the Dark Curse. I don't see necessarily his being the creator of the Dark Curse being a weakness for him or something that he wants to hide. It's something about his deal with Zelina that he went to make with her when she was in Oz because Oz is in the background of that picture. So I think Mm. that maybe Zelina is going to be our Persephone stand in. The most famous story of Hades is that of Hades and his bride, Persephone. So Persephone was a very beautiful, as they all are in Greek mythology, young (laughs) lady who is normally playing by a river in a field. And Hades comes up from the underworld and he snatches her away 
and he takes her down to the underworld to make Persephone his queen. Persephone's mother is Demeter, and she is the goddess of the harvest, and she's beyond distressed. And she's so overcome with grief, and in the the Homeric hymn to Demeter, you read about just how she's so unbelievably distraught and wandering the world trying to find her lost child. And basically, the seasons halt and everything stops growing. And this is really bad. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Zeus finally pays attention for once in his long life, and he sends Hermes to the underworld to make a deal with Hades. Release Persephone so long as she has eaten nothing of the underworld realm. To keep Persephone, Hades ends up giving her pomegranate seeds to eat, and this binds her both to Hades and to the underworld. So the deal then is struck between Demeter and Hades that Persephone can only go live in overworld for six months of the year, during which things grow, spring and summer, and then must return to the underworld for six months, during which things die, fall and winter. I don't think they're necessarily going to go that classic route with Zelina if she is Persephone, but it's kind of interesting to me that the first mention of Zelina for this arc was between Korra and Hades. Um, we already got a hint that Hades knew something about Zelina because he kind of accused Cora of mistreating her. So I have to wonder if the twist is that the deal struck is perhaps between Cora and Hades, where Cora agrees to do Hades bidding, maybe in the hopes of Hades getting to keep Cora's eldest daughter. And I think there are some parallels between Zelina and Hades because if the show goes the traditional route or at least the Disney traditional route, of Hades resenting his brother Zeus, that's a lot like Zelina resenting Regina. And I think maybe that's their bond. Hmm. They need to have a lot of brother resentment (laughs) slash sibling resentment. Or it could be something completely different in all of this. Could be. (laughs) And I'm kind of inclined to think it's going to be something that we're not expecting. Probably. Because in all of this, what is the weakness? What is so, what makes this have to be a secret for Hades? Well, is it the Coraline? Is is it because love is a weakness? Is it because if Hades falls in love and is happy, he won't have control over the underworld and the souls get to move on and then his power diminishes and he's not the lord of the underworld in kind of this big menacing way anymore? Okay, so that's a weakness. How do they exploit that? Do they set him up on a blind date and try and make him fall in love? Or maybe he's already married to Zelina. Oh, gosh. But see, even if it's <laughs> even if it's something like that, if the relationship is the weakness, what are the heroes going to do? Because the heroes aren't going to threaten the relationship or threaten to kill the person that's on the other side of the relationship. The heroes wouldn't do that. There's got to be some other kind of weakness, and it's something that the heroes can remain heroes and still exploit in some way. And it will have a repeatable catchphrase. (laughs) That would be great. Yeah. (laughs) We need more of those. Snuff out the blue flame. (laughs) (laughs) There was one other thing. So in this scene, uh, we see the Yellow River and the archway over top of it that has the name of the river. And the Yellow River is the River Lath. So it's not the green one with all the floating souls like we had theorized last week. Okay. If it's anything, it's probably Archeron, the River of Pain, Woe, and Lamentation. I guess that fits with the idea of being 
a husk of a soul, but yeah, yeah I can uh, see that. Mm. Well, hopefully we haven't left you as a husk of a soul after our in-depth <laughs> conversation here, but we are very grateful for your feedback that we've been able to incorporate into this and please keep that coming. But this concludes our discussion of the Brothers Jones. And we want you to continue the conversation, though. You can do that in two places. One is commenting on the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 237. That's also where you can go to share this episode out with your friends, tweet it, Facebook it, all of that kind of stuff. And we'd be very grateful for that. It's a great way to support the podcast is get other people listening to the podcast. That helps us out tremendously. The other place you can continue the conversation is in the forums, and there's a handy link on the website at oncepodcast.com to the forums, and it's a great place to go, and you can talk about any of the past episodes there, and even Wonderland. I saw some things about Once Upon a Time in Wonderland were still being discussed fairly recently. That's over at oncepodcast.com. It's completely free to join, and we would love to have you there inside the community talking about Once Upon a Time and sharing your thoughts and theories there. Please send us your theories after you watch the next upcoming episode of Once Upon a Time, and all of our contact information is in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 237. But if you want to email us, send it to feedback at oncepodcast.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 903 231 2221 or send a voice message or a regular written message through the website at oncepodcast.com. Please connect with us on Twitter at oncepodcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P H L E G O N. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, Jenny for managing our Patreon bonuses for our heroes, and my fellow co-hosts Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for doing this podcast with me. And until next time, don't worry about reaching that bar anymore. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated shows to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero too and support the podcast on an ongoing monthly basis, we would be very grateful. It doesn't have to be much. It could be only a dollar per month. Please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero to see your options. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. Episode 516, Our Decay. Emma, Snow, David, Regina, Robin, Henry, and Hook continue to search for a way to free everyone from the underworld. At the mercy of Hades, Gold creates a portal to Storybrooke, which transports Belle, Zelina, and Baby Hood to the underworld. While Zelina and Regina get into a sibling squabble, Belle is reunited with Rumpel only to learn some tremendously shocking news that will change her life forever. Meanwhile, Snow and David hopelessly attempt to send a message from the underworld to their son, Neil, 
In flashbacks, Hades learns about Zelina's very special spell and pays her a visit in Oz with the intention of striking an alliance, but finds himself with more than just a partner in crime. This one's written by Tej Chung and Donna Horgan and directed by Steve Perlman. So, yeah, we got some fun guest stars. Yeah, um, Keegan Connor Tracy will be back as the Blue Fairy. Emma Caulfield is returning as the Blind Witch. Greg German, of course, is coming back as Hades. And this is our first appearance for Terry Reeves as Dorothy. Yeah. And she is not the same person who played Dorothy back in season three because she's more grown up this time around. And if you guys will remember correctly from what we got probably about two months ago at this point about her, she's a witch hunter. Yes. This is going to be a very interesting episode. I think that's a good word for it. Interesting. Yeah. We were weirded out by James and Cruella. I think this is going to do the same. I had, I was getting uncomfortable watching that scene. So I got uncomfortable watching it last week. So let's see how Hades and Zelina. Oh, it's going to be so, so awkward. I, I would never have pictured those two together. I don't know who I would picture them with, but it's not each other. Well, we do get a little bit of a look because, of course, we have the promo. Yes. And Hades goes to visit Zelina and Oz, and they're obviously forging some sort of connection because he says that there is no one more hated than the lord of the underworld. And Zelina sort of bats her eyelashes and says she could give him a run for his money. Yeah, she's being flirty, which I don't like, but anyway. This episode, most of the promo is in Oz, so... Expect to see a lot of Oz, I think, this coming week. Um, we do see them riding around on a bicycle. It kind of looks like the bicycle that Mrs. Gulch drives in the classic 1939 movie. Yes. And they're obviously falling for each other or in love with each other's wickedness or something. Yuck. And for those of you, of course, you can't see my notes. It says yuck. It does. She has the word yuck written in the notes. <laughs> We also got a look at the Scarecrow because Zelina wants to find the Scarecrow and we do get a very brief look at him in the promo. And yes. he is the stuff that his nightmares are made of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's very strange looking. I, I really had no idea what to do with that image. I was like, well, that's a little weird. Okay. Did you see Wicked? Yes. Okay, I haven't seen it. I read the book. I know the soundtrack by heart. But I wonder if it's the same thing. Does she turn someone into the Scarecrow? The scarecrow. I was kind of thinking the same thing. A lot of theories since we've seen Zelina way, way, way back in season three was that her father might eventually become the Scarecrow. Okay. So I'm kind of wondering if we'll... We don't have him as a guest star. So if it is, then he would have been turned into a Scarecrow a while back. And this could just be like a... V- image of the transformation yeah because they won't put their names in the guest stars list if they don't have lines yeah so like if it's something like memory or something like that we just see her transform this person into a scarecrow and then we do get a little shot of the underworld and robin and regina are talking to zelina in the present day and they they want to know what exactly happened between zelina and hades Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) hunter clearly doesn't want to know no, I just think it's weird. I don't know why. Well, it when we got these 
spoilers way back a couple months ago when they were filming this episode. And, you know, to refresh some people's memory, we're going to see, if not this episode, then next week, Hades and Zelina interacting in present day. And, you know, we overheard a conversation about Hades saying that he did all of this, indicating the underworld and the way it looks for Zelina. So even back then, we were kind of weirded out by this romantic connection these two have. Yeah. So no sneak peek and And no photos. No photos. This is kind of a weird week because the synopsis actually came out about a week ago. Because of Easter, they pushed out the synopsis for this episode pretty far in advance. But we don't have any photos or a sneak peek right now. Yeah, and I was just checking like five minutes ago. So there's literally nothing. But we do have a script tease. We do. Yay for dramatic acting. Yay. Okay, do you want to be Belle or do you want to be the Blue Fairy? I'll be the Blue Fairy. Oh, all right. Okay, get into character. Mother Superior, what's going on? Nothing. Everything's fine. (laughs) And scene. (laughs) Yes, and scene. You know, that's not shady at all. I continue to believe that the Blue Fairy is up to no good, and that line that she just gave is totally suspicious. Yeah. Do you know what's really funny? What? Because of these two are interacting, the Keegan Connor Tracy, she plays Belle in The Descendants. Yes, she does. So the, just the fact that these two are talking to each other is in my head just like going crazy because she's the same person. And anyway, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> For those of you who haven't seen The Descendants, find two hours in your life that you don't mind wasting and go watch it. It's ridiculous. A bunch of us watched it together when it premiered and it was the most bizarre thing i've ever seen but i couldn't look away it's a musical and it really didn't need to be one <laughs> they okay. could have done the whole movie without it but I, there's another one coming out too just so you know oh gosh okay maybe we should talk about the photos that we do have yes let's talk about those <laughs> so we do have what is going to be the final photos um pretty much for the season because they are now done filming in steveston last night was their final night they are still doing some stuff indoors, but they're not going to be outside anymore. So this is really the last photos we've got for the filming this year. That's sad. We do get our first look at the two new actors who are coming for the finale and then moving over into season six, Sam Witwier and Hank Harris. Harris. Yes. And they look to be in like Ye period old piece Yeah, clothes. it's very, like, I sort of think Victorian Gothic penny dreadful kind of clothing yeah it's kind of odd and a couple interesting choices they've done is in like the makeup department for example sam witwier who is playing i do believe the more menacing brother he has a big scar on the side of his face and then he's a cut on the other side of his face yeah and which the scar is old and then the cut it looks relatively new like he gets in a lot of fights right (laughs) And then Hank Harris, his outfit is basically, you know, the yield clothing that we just talked about. But I didn't see any kind of facial scarring on him. No, it was just like a brown suit. Right. But what's kind of interesting is that the Hank Harris pictures, they seem to be more in New York City. Mm-hmm. And Sam Witwier, his character is in Storybrooke because we have a lot of photos of him and Regina. Yes. And my- Did you see the one that was captioned Evil Mental Hospital Warden? Yes. 
which, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, we knew that they were coming for this mental hospital arc, whatever that's going to be. We mm-hmm. still don't know yet. But so this theory particularly comes from the forums, a lot of conversation going over there, particularly from Price of Magic, who thinks that they are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from the little novella. See, I kind of, I like the fact that it's one person usually. Right. So I'm kind of wondering if either the twist is that it's two people or that he, because there is actual magic in this show, that when he transforms from Jekyll to Hyde, he's literally becoming a different person. Because as of right now, there are no photos of the two of them together. Yeah, which is kind of suspicious. Right. But could be kind of cool. It could be. I don't think we're actually going to know who they are until we watch the episodes. Yes. Or if they even draw it out to next season. Yeah, possibly. You know, they've been known to do that. Like with Elsa, everyone kind of knew it was Elsa because of all the stuff they threw at us, the ice and the gloves and everything. But you didn't officially know it was Elsa until we met her. Right. In season four. So there was that one picture of Sam Witwer. I can't tell if it's from rehearsal or if it's a flash forward. Oh, where he was in like, modern, more modern clothing. I think it was a rehearsal. Okay. Because like 90% of the pictures I've seen so far, he was in the, I'm going to keep calling it Penny Dreadful clothing. <laughs> okay. Call it what you like. <laughs> Thanks. But he does look menacing. Yes. So something tells me that if Jekyll and Hyde is true, he's probably Hyde. Well, yeah, that would be a given. But we do have some other pictures moving on from our our two new characters. They wrapped filming in their New York City set Mm -hmm. because if you remember right, almost everyone went to New York. Um, It turns out that Snow and Charming and I do believe Hook ended up there as well after Rumpel, Henry and Violet. And Regina and Emma. And Emma, Emma yes. So every, so the gang is sort of back together in New York, and there weren't a whole lot of shots of what's going on because I still have no idea. But we do see snow in a fountain, so I don't know if they portaled themselves to a fountain maybe. Or she fell in. Yeah. I don't think they would do that to a pregnant woman. But yeah, Poor Jenny Goodwin. <laughs> she hates getting wet. I, I mean, she could have just fallen in. As her, <laughs> like a, a character, blowback magic. Right. She could have fallen into the fountain. I don't know. But there were some interesting pictures of Henry and Violet. Yes. They kissed. It looks like they've got a, he's got a little girlfriend. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to be seeing Violet at all next season. That hasn't been announced yet or anything. But yeah, it looks like Henry's going to get his first kiss. Now, because we know that those two were in Soho. Yeah, according to last week. But it looks like she's also somehow joins up with the rest of the main cast. Yeah, I think my guess, knowing Henry, is that he wasn't supposed to go to New York and everybody went chasing after him. Probably. Because that's what Henry does. Yeah, because he doesn't listen. Yeah, he doesn't listen. There was also a picture of Henry standing outside of the lion statues that most people would know from the New York City library. They recreated those, and he was kind of standing next to one, and it looks like he's talking to the entire group. Being that he's the author, that would be uh, the right place to be. Right. I have a feeling whatever story this is, it has something to do with him being the author, because that has been brought up several times this season so far. Yeah. And then 
We do have some pictures of everyone coming back to Storybrook. So the finale, it looks like, does take place in Storybrook. Um, we've already talked about Regina and the Sam Witwer character. But there was some pictures and a little video of Hook and Emma standing outside of Granny's. It looks like a celebration of some kind. Um, they appear to be talking, and then Hook actually picks up Emma in celebration. There's a really long kiss. And if I had to make a prediction... I would say that Hook and Emma just got engaged. That's That'd what be it cute. that's what it looks like to me when I was watching the video and studying all the pictures. That would be very cute. If it's done rightly, if he proposed correctly. <laughs> Not so you want to get married? No, he has to do it right. Okay, well we'll check back with you at the end of the season to see if he did it right. <laughs> yeah. And then there was a little report from someone who was watching the filming saying that they were filming a sort of backstory on Robin's death. Um, Sean has still hasn't been on set for about a week and a half now. They were filming, obviously, a bunch of episodes together, mostly because of Jenny Goodwin's press tour schedule and how they needed to accommodate her, her pregnancy, and then Emily DeRaven's pregnancy. So I don't know exactly when Robin's going to die. I'm 99.9% sure that he is going to die, though. And if I had to guess, I would say he's probably going to die somewhere around episode 21. I don't think it's the actual finale. Yeah, because we haven't seen him at all in any of these set photos for 22 and 23. But they did film, I, th- you know, his death scene already, most likely, and they've already filmed the funeral. And we've seen, remember, Roland and Little John leaving together. So right. it, whenever he does die, it's not the finale. So and prepare yourself, guys. we still haven't guys. figured out what happens to baby pistachio. <laughs> we have no idea where baby pistachio is. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got... A lot coming up. Yeah. I think that's all we got. It's a really light week, and they're just going to get lighter from here on out. I'm sorry, guys. Right, because we're not going to have these filming photos anymore. Although, I think we'll keep reminding you about stuff that we've seen um, since, you know, we've seen a lot because they film nonstop, and it's hard to, I, I know, remember some stuff. So that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers.